podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick. And joining me today are my good friend Wazim Benares and Amjad Kazir from Media Culture UK. We're going to talk today about the Reds, of course, because this is a Liverpool podcast, but we're also going to move into something else, and that's to talk about what's termed as Islamophobia in the media, but what it really is, what we can do to combat it, and how we can educate ourselves and others um, to really look at Islam the way it should be looked at. So, Waz, let's start with you, son. This is your How second you time in the podcast. I hope you're feeling honoured. You're in, you're in a uh, rare club here. Mate, mate, I'm just waiting for that chemistry to flow again, and then um, your boy uh, Gag's going to hand out that contract and say, come on, I need you and uh, you and Dave to have this show going on the road all the time now. That's exactly it. And if you're listening, make it happen, son. Um, <coughs> and Amjit, how are you today? Yeah, very well. Uh, and again, as with Was, appreciate the time and the opportunity to have a chat with you guys. Love the show. Thanks a million, mate. Thanks a million. We, we do work hard at what we do here at Anfield Index, regardless of what uh, what the rumours may be. There is no uh, there is no boat. There's no luxury cars. Um, no. This is all for, all for the fun. Um, Gags right, has so, done a wicked job, man. Gags has done a really good job on it. He works oh, his he, ass off. He does. He, he he puts himself into the ground with the work he does, and and there's no like the the others involved: Eddie Gibbs, Greg Hopcroft, Lena Kaiser, Guy Drinkle, who has thankfully. Agreed to produce this because it was left to me to produce. This would be an absolute shit show. Um, <laughs> so, so, guy, thank you very much. Um, right, let's start with the Reds. We're not going to talk about yesterday because yesterday was horrendous. No, Absolutely we horrendous. We can't even big it up. We can't even put anything on it just to spruce it up and make it sound like better than what it was. No, exactly. And so, Stoke, fuck off. Go to the championship <laughs> and stay there. It's yeah. horrible fucker. So, Let's talk about what's important. And what is important is that this Wednesday night, Liverpool go to Rome for the second leg of the Champions League semi-final against AS Roma, leading 5-2 from the first leg. Uh, so let's start with the, with the, with the first, with, the, with that first leg. Amjad, what are your thoughts on that first leg? What did you think as you were watching that game? To be honest, uh, for the first 20 minutes, I was with most Liverpool fans. There's a sense of trepidation. I thought the lads were trying to work out the game. And I was actually watching it with Waz and we were sat there thinking, they're, they're pressing us, they're playing the way we do against other teams. And I just shouted out, long ball, hit the long ball over the top. And then, I'm not saying I called it, but um, when Van Dyke started that off and then I think Trent put a few down the wing and saw Salah get in, the game turned. And at 5-0, it was kind of like, what are we watching here? But uh, as with Liverpool, they never make it easy. Uh, so those two late goals... Towards the end. I've got me kind of thinking this Wednesday is going to be tough, but whilst watching the game, I was blown away by the passion, the commitment, and some of the football. But as I say, uh, it's left this Wednesday kind of uh, a little bit more nervous than it should have been. Yeah, it, it totally has. And I mean, the first goal, you kind of feel it'll be crucial here. If, if they get the first, arses could go, heads could go, <clears throat> and we might find ourselves a little bit of bother. But if we get that first goal, it's pretty much good night because it, they're not going to score four goals against us on, on you know, without having to completely bombard us. 
and leave themselves massively exposed at the back. Um, whilst you were watching the game with Amjad then, what, what were your thoughts on that first 20 minutes as Amjad mentioned? It seemed like we were very much struggling to sort of figure out what they were doing. They just seemed to have a little bit more nous, a little bit more experience, you know, big, big game mentality in, in, in that team with De Rossi and Strootman and Nangolin and Manolis and Jekyll up front. What, what were your thoughts on that, that the opening kind of exchanges in that game? Do you know, on the first watch, it's always quite difficult, Dave, um, when you're watching it live, because you're, because of your own emotions, you, you feel kind of nervous anyway. So even if the lads are kind of chilled out, um, when I was watching it first, it was just like, shit, but you know, we could buckle here. But then you remember you've got Dyke, um, and he kind of kept everything really calm in them 20 minutes, and it almost like that spread throughout the team over that 20 minutes, so I wasn't as worried after that 20 minute sort of period. I thought he was controlling everything. Roma had kind of pushed on as much as they could, but they weren't really making any inroads to make me sort of worry more than like sort of the nervousness I was feeling before the game anyway, if that makes sense. Um, but as Amjid was saying there, as he touched on it, um, when he started mentioning about the long ball stuff, and then they started kicking out all the long balls from the back, well, long passes or whatever. Um, we, uh, the way we took over that game was really good actually. Um, the blessing in disguise. I felt sorry for um, Oxlade when he went off. We were gutted when he went mm. when he was going off. We thought he could be like that that little secret, you know, um, the little chink we've got um, in our arm. Um, but soon as he went off and Ginny came on, Ginny just played like Sadoff and he he just surprised he surprised both of us with how he just took charge of that game. You just think, where's this Ginny? Why, why does he appear every week? Why is it one game? That is the frustrating thing with him, isn't it? Because you know, we saw him last season have some phenomenal games and then just disappear in others. This season, it's been a lot more poor games than good games. But in big games, he has really stepped up for us. I'm thinking Porto away, obviously the first leg there against Roma. He comes on and he just looks like a fella who's inspired by what he's seen around Yeah, him. He, he did it last year as well. Remember that last game against Middlesbrough? That old mm. game was so vital. And it wasn't just them. There was like there was a few big games last year, and he was scoring the goals. I think against City as well. He did. City, the Arsenal home game where he scored that late goal as well. Yeah. Um. You know, I remember we went to Old Trafford, and him and Emery just absolutely ran the show. I know we we ended up with a draw, <laughs> but they ran the show in midfield against Paul Pogba, which and people like a lot of people slag Paul Pogba. Off. I'm not one of them. I think he's a fantastic talent, and for me, for Emery. To go up against Pogba and, and not only match him, but outplay him. I think Emery's going to be a huge loss to us this summer. But aside from that, um, you guys talk about the, the balls out from the back. And I'm just, I've seen a few people say, oh, Liverpool have become a long ball team. But the key for this is it, they're not just hopeful punts. Like Trent is a phenomenal footballer. Robertson, phenomenal footballer. And Van Dyke, phenomenal footballer. These are cultured passes from the back. I agree totally. I think uh, cultured passes and adapting your tactics to suit the game. Uh, when Roma are going to play three at the back, and you think we need to get our forward against them within the game, you understand the game and people like Van Dyke, and I think that's why we bought this guy is because game management within a game. You think, hang on, the presses are working, the short passes aren't working, they're condensing midfield, chip it over the heads, long ball, long pass, whatever it might be. And I've been kind of a critic of. Our tactics in the past where we've sort of shown one way of doing things, but 
I think we've improved upon that. And as Wah said, I think you know you mentioned earlier that uh, against uh, City we conceded the first goal in the second leg. And even if we were to concede the first goal against Roma again in game management, keep keeping it composed, working out what we need to do to shut up shop or go on the offensive. That's what it takes. So long balls, long passes, square passes, whatever it might be. Uh, and I agree totally with uh, Waz again. When Ginny came on, I, I thought he changed the game. Within the game, you've got to understand what the game feels like uh, and what you need to do to sort of, you know, step up the gear. And I think in that game, uh, Van Dijk started it off, I think, with a, a long switch from the left to the right to Salah. And then Trent got his head up and I think it was what, the third goal or the fourth goal. And he sort of punted it down the right wing, the kind of football pass that, the kind of pass that Steve Nichol would do years ago, just right down, <laughs> down the right wing. And you think, it worked. You got him in. We got our third goal. We got a fourth goal. So, you know, you've got to adapt your tactics and the way you approach a game in it and see how you get on. And the great thing for us as well is because we're able to do that, we're able to bypass from back to front. Like when we play Roma in that second leg, it means that we can not only counter them in that regard. If we win the ball back deep in our own half, we can just look up. We're going to have Mo Mane and Bobby all moving up front and with the, with those three guys of highlight and even Lovren to an extent is capable of pinging a pass so with those four guys we can just go back to front and not expose ourselves if the if the attack doesn't work out like oftentimes at Liverpool um we've counterattacked with short quick passes everybody's gotten forward full backs have gone forward the two midfielders have pushed on and we're left with just Henderson and the centre-backs, and it's often left us exposed, but with this ability we have now to just go from back to front, and from Robertson to Mane, Robertson to Moe, and Van Dijk to either, Van Dijk to, to Van Dijk, Trent to anybody he wants, it means that we can stay compact, but expose the fact that they're going to have to come out and defend the halfway line. Like, there's no way, they can't do what Stoke did yesterday, they can't just turn up and go, alright, we're going to um. defend here. Mm. Can't happen. I think it's they both. have to come at us. Yeah, no, I think it spoke volumes of fact that we took the Rossi off in the second half. Their midfield general, you know, who sprays the passes about, gets the tackles in. He wasn't in the game. They took him off. De Rossi wasn't it? They took him off uh, towards the end of the first second half because he wasn't in the game. Liverpool bypassed their midfield, bypassed their press, got in again and again. It could have been seven or eight. Mm. Really tough. And I think uh, if it works. You know, use it. I'm not advocating long ball. I love the football we play. I think it's fantastic to watch. And uh, but in the game again, when when we go there on uh, Wednesday night, if they're going to press us and they have to press us and they have to come at us, and we have to switch a couple of balls from one wing to the other to get someone in, do it. We've got the yeah. pace, Mane, Salah, and Firmino's movement and the way he drops into midfield to collect the ball and you know his first time flicks outside to the right wing and to the left wing. They'll cut Roma apart again, I think. No, I totally agree. And was when you look at the midfield battle, like we pretty much went man for man. Ginny on De Rossi, Ginny ran De Rossi ragged. Milner on Strootman. That was a great physical battle. And they put Nangland on Henderson. And Nangland, to be fair, was getting the better of, of the duel. So I think that played a big part in us just deciding to bypass the midfield, not risk the turnovers and go long. Do you think... They'll go with a similar sort of setup um, in Rome, or do you think we might see them switch to a back four? 
Do you mean we us switching to a back four? Well, you mean Roma switching? Well, to Ro- back? Roma switching to back four because if they play I, a three I, again, they're leaving I themselves open. Be, surely, I, I, I think it'd be bananas if he went with the same setup. That was just they, they, they got slaughtered. You know, let's, they, they got that lucky penalty as well from uh, Milner at the end. Um, if they set up like that, the, the, the coach will probably want shooting or something there. Just they won't be able to cope with Mane and Firmino and um, Salah anyway. And hmm. um, we'll just stick to the same tactic. Just let him come on to us, fall over the top, and bang. We've got any of our three boys going in. Um, I, th- I think they're going to go. They'll go with four at the back, you know. Um, I didn't see the game yesterday. They won. They won five nil. Um, did you see how they set up at all? Because that's like yeah, they they, they played the back. They played the back four yesterday. Uh, see, that's, um, that's an indication, isn't it, to hmm. what they could what they could be setting up for for the weekend uh, for like, our game. Sorry. The thing is, we, we could be lax on this, and we could just say, oh, this is a done deal. And I've seen some people say it, oh, this is a done deal. They're a very good team, so we, we will need to be cautious. But like you guys have said, I think if the setup for us is similar to what we did against City, where we are prepared to just sit in and let them come at us and then try and hit them, like they're not as good defensively as City. They're also going to have to commit a bit more. Like, and, and the thing with City as well is, City are very mobile and active in midfield. As good mm. as Nangle and Strootman and De Rossi are, other than Nangle the other two are they're very static players. They're slow, they're ponderous, they're mm. a little bit older as well. And Strootman's had a lot of injuries, so he's been slowed massively. So if we just bypass all of that and forget about the nonsense of playing in midfield and just go front to back, I mean, we really cut open the floodgates over there. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. Um, if if we stick to our task, I mean, we took on City, who everybody knows they've got the best attack in the league by a mile. And we withstood all of that at their ground as well. And that, for me, was like a bit of a litmus test for us. Um, we took on their attack. We went and beat them there as well. We actually defended. We looked like a team that could defend. So that worry about us, um, or Lovren having like his, you know, mayor, it's not, it's not there as much because you know, you've, you've got someone like Van Dyke now. He, he sort of keeps everything steady at the back. He, he talks to everybody in front of him as well. Um, that worry we used to have about the defence, it's slowly going away. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the difference now is that even with Lovren and the odd mistake he makes, and he always makes them, there's always going to be mistakes in this game. That's just who he is as a player. Mm. But... With with Van Dyke there, there's just a, there's a calmness. Even like when we, when we conceded that first goal um, against Roma, when Lovren mis, uh, played Jack on side and then misjudged misjudged the ball, you didn't feel like it was really going to fall apart because there's just no. something that Van Dyke brings where it's just kind of like, oh, this will be all right. They'll get one. Like as you said, the second one, look, you, you, they they get given. It's a soft penalty, but if if it was the other way around and it was. Henderson having a shot that hit Strootman, we'd all be screaming for the penalty. So I'm not, I'm not so much against the, the giving of the penalty, but even when that went in, you were sort of like, well, that's it. They're not going to get another one. Like they're, they're just not. They don't have it in them to get another one here. Or we, and if they, if they try, we can always counter them again. So I, I think, I think we have reason to be confident now. You know that could all change within 15 minutes if they get a couple of early goals, but. Mm-hmm. We'll keep everything crossed. They won't. But on the whole, lads, this season, like, do you think it's a good step forward from last season? Obviously, we finished fourth last season. This season, we're looking like we're going to be in the Champions League final. We're looking like we're going to get top four again. For me, that's good progression. 
Andy, what, what's your thoughts right. on that in terms of do you see this as, as as the right step forward from last year? Absolutely, I think you know getting into the Champions League on the last day of last season spoke volumes that this year we're kind of coming and ahhing with two weeks to go whether we should rest players because we're kind of in. I know Chelsea have got an opportunity to catch us if they if they have a couple of good results and do us over. But overall, I think the progression has been marked. I think uh, if Naby Keita had come in uh, as Jürgen had gone for him, we'd have been another step ahead. But I'm I'm very pleased that Jürgen's kind of identified centre-half's an issue. Uh, we've bought Van Dijk in. Uh, we've dropped Mignolet, thank the Lord. I'm not Karius' biggest fan, but he deserves his chance. But over the course of the season, I think we've remained unbeaten in the Champions League. We've got to the semi-final and hopefully it's through to the final come next week. Um, we're pushing third in the league. A, bit, a couple of too many draws for me this season, but considering sort of towards the back end of this season, some of the injuries that we've had, Lalana, Chan, uh, Ginny, Ox, you know, some of the injuries that we've had, progression has still been there. But I think, as always, uh, a Liverpool fan of over 30 years, this summer, the, the recruitment is going to take us on to that next level. I think I'm happy, not overjoyed with the season. I think anyone who finishes 20 behind points behind, uh, if Liverpool finish 20 points behind the eventual winners of the league, I'm not going to be happy. But there's progression there, and I think it's only going to continue. Uh, uh, believe in what Jurgen's doing. If the recruitment matches our ambitions, I think we'll be even better next year. And that's the exciting thing for me is is what recruitment there'll be because. For a long time, like under Kenny and under Rogers, the recruitment was very poor. You know, the odd, the odd diamond, Suarez, Coutinho, Sturridge, but lots and lots and lots of draws. Benteke, Lovren, um, you know, Fabio Barini and. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it works both ways. I think with Jurgen, he kind of said at the beginning, I know you guys aren't the biggest fans of Lovren, and neither am I, but he sort of, he sat there at the beginning and he said, look, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to look to train the players. And he's had a couple of years, two, two and a half years to look at his squad. And I think he's going to, he's going to, he knows, he knows he buys Van Dyke because Matip and Lovren, Clavan, they're not good enough. He buys Keita because he looks and thinks and he's a world-class midfielder. Henderson, mm. Melagini aren't good enough. And so if he's had his time to look at the squad and to get the best out of him he can and he thinks, right, I've reached my limit with certain players. I've got to go out and buy you know, some real world-class footballers and do it because, to be honest, I used to look back and think, you know, City bought the league, United bought the league, Chelsea bought the league. The fact is, they won the league. And mm. if if, we, if it takes us to go out and show our might and show our power, and if you get in the Champions League semi-final, you attract better players, go out there, buy a couple of world-class footballers, two or three, no Ross, no Deadwood, and let's go for it. Let's win the league. We're Liverpool Football Club. That's exactly it. And was. With Klopp, as Amda said, it has been a, a step-by-step building to putting a team together to win the league. Rather than just going out and buying, you know, a team straight away, he sort of built it step-by-step. And when you look at the recruitment, Mane, Ginny, Carius in one summer, that's that's really good. Then last summer, Ox, Moe and Robertson, obviously. Van Dijk comes in in January. Naby, we know, is coming this summer. For me, we're only really two starters away. If we can replace Lovren and Henderson as starters this summer and then add some more depth, that to me would be a hell of an 11 and a hell of a squad. If we got the two good starters and two or three really good squad players, 
I really think we could challenge City this year. And with Klopp, the way he's recruited, how smart he's been, and the fact that players seem to be queuing up to join us, you do have to be confident going into the summer. You have to be, but that's, you know what it is? It's just one of these stigmas we've got to get past as Liverpool fans as well this summer. We always, we always have this cycle where we do rubbish, we build up, we look like we're going to challenge, and then we, we do something in the transfer market that just doesn't work for us. And then it's the whole cycle gets repeated again. It, it, it's almost become a pattern since 92 for us. Um, in terms of this season, I actually think Klopp, he's actually shown his genius. He's got more out of the squad um, from a weaker squad than what we had last season, in my opinion. Um, you've got to remember, there's no Origi there, who was far better than Ings and Solanke. Um, Sturridge was around, so he had depth to play with last season. Um, Coutinho's not there anymore. So what he's done with these guys this season is pretty phenomenal to get us not only in the top four and sort of looking comfortable for that Champions League position, but um, we're, we're, one, we're 90 minutes away from the Champions mm. League final. Um, I think it's, it's insane, big, isn't it? It's you know, like we're 90 minutes. Like the last time we yeah. were in the Champions League, we were embarrassing, like actually <laughs> embarrassing. We were the laughing yeah. stock of yeah. the Premier League in terms of the big clubs that go into Europe. This year, we're not, like you said, 90 minutes from a Champions League minutes. final. It's mental. Yeah, we've, we've, it's, it's not been sort of, we haven't been lucky with referee decisions. It's, it's not like we've been playing compact and backs against the wall and trying to pinch a goal. We've gone out and blown teams mm. away. And, um, for him to have done that, you know, is, I, I am, I am, I was buzzing when we signed, when we got Klopp in. Um, he, he appreciates the tools he's got, like Edwards, Fallows, um, people who, who he knows will help him sign players. I think Salah was one that he didn't want. And the boys were pushing it, I think, um, if, if I remember right. They, they mm. were trying to push the Salah signing. Um, and it shows he's, he's got faith in what they're doing. If they can work in tandem and give us a couple of good signings in the summer, we, we should push on for a good challenge um, come next season. Yeah, and I think I think you've just touched a very important point, is the Mo Salah thing. Because it's known that they had to convince him. They had to talk yeah. him into Mo Salah. Yeah. And... When you look at the results, 43 goals and 15 assists. Oh, like it's Per game, it's the greatest season any Liverpool player has had in terms of goal return. I know Rush scored 40, 47, but Rush played an awful lot more games than Mo has. Um, mm. It's the same in terms of... like It's actually, per game, it's the best return of any player in the Premier League era yeah. for any club. Uh, Van Nistelrooy scored 44 in, I think, 0-2, 0-3. But like he didn't get close to the number of Premier League goals, but he had 14 in the Champions League. But again, he played like 55, 56 games, so a lot more games than Mo has played. Mm. Um, and like, really, are we going to bet that Mo won't score at least one more? But in the last three games, last four games that he could have, um, should have had I one. Should have had one yesterday. Should have had one yesterday, exactly. And when you look, like I saw someone, uh, some website put out a stat: Mo Salah has missed the most. Uh, big chances this season and that's true he has but when you look at the percentage the conversion percentage it's he's pretty much bang on average about 50% which is where Murata, it's better than Morata it's about the same as Kane about the same as Lukaku you know these big money strikers that you know everybody hypes up but Mo is doing this in a wide role and it you know when you see what Klopp has done with him what he's done with Bobby turned Bobby basically into 30 goal a season striker um 
Mane, for me, Mane is the biggest surprise because I, I was against the Mane side. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, he, he has been phenomenal. And even this season, he had the season I was worried about where he was really good at the start of it, then really poor in the middle and really good at the end. But in that middle part where he was poor, he was still scoring, he was still creating mm. goals. And that's the difference in Sadio Mane under Jurgen Klopp than Sadio Mane before Jurgen Klopp is that he's still able to produce the goods. And I think that speaks a lot to his own confidence and to the management of, of Klopp. And when you look at this summer, like, and you, you hear the names, and this is the other big change from, from the Rodgers era. Like, coming into April, May, under Rodgers, you're hearing these names, and you're like, oh, God, no, just don't sign him. He's awful. <laughs> and Williams. now, Ashley Williams, you know, like, Leon Britton and Michelle Vorm and all this crap. And now it's it's Ruben Neves, it's James Madison, it's Jorginho, it's Ryan Sessegnon, it's Thomas Lamar, um, Adrian Rabiot's been mentioned. Yeah. It's top, top players. It's Wilfred Ndidi. You know, guys that are either top players or massively talented young players who can become top players. And when we are in this position, and going back to what I said earlier, about how, how Klopp was convinced on Salah, I wonder if this summer we might see Klopp have even more faith than Michael Edmonds and Dave Fallows and Barry Hunter, where they can turn around to him and go, look, this is the guy. We've been watching this guy. And I'm thinking of Ruben Neves in, in this regard. We've been watching this guy now for four years. We mm. had a deal in place before you came in, but you weren't sure of him at that time. But now, look at what he's done for Wolves and Trust our judgment. Look at Mo Salah. And I think if we were to go and spend forty million on Ruben Neves this summer, I think that I think it'd be a bargain. I think that's yeah. ten years of of Alonso esque play in the yeah. field, which would take this team to a completely different level. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. If he can take, if uh, Jurgen can take the advice of those around him, I think it shows a certain level of humility. We might not have a DOF in place, but if there's players out there like Salah, like Neves, who've been identified with, you know, potential world beaters, and he can look to take these players and bring them into the team and improve us overall, and accept that he might not instantaneously look at them and think, yeah, that's the player I want. He's not kind of a, a Mourinho, thank the Lord, uh, where he goes out and just picks and chooses the best players. He wants to be convinced. He brings them into the teams and he gives them a chance. I was kind of umming and ahhing over the Oxlade-Chamberlain signing. Even mm. Wasim told me about Ruben Neves, I was kind of like, well, why is he going, if he's so good, why is he going to a first division team? But on, honestly, Ox has come on leaps and bounds and what Neves, he's fantastic. If he gets yeah. into our team, um, to be honest, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Emre Chan. I think he had a good game. On his good day, he's brilliant. On his bad day, he's shocking. And I think Ruben Neves could come in and he could, you know, fill that void if Emery does go. And I think yeah. he can, can take the advice and take the, the guidance of those around him and pick and choose a few decent players before next season. Then, you know, let's go. Let's take on City. That's the thing. And like you say, there is, a, there is a nod of humility there from Klopp in understanding that you can't do both jobs. Being a great manager doesn't mean you've got a great eye for talent, doesn't mean you've got the ability to identify the exact player. Because... You just don't have time because there's so much involved in managing not just a football club but an entity like Liverpool where it's not just the work you're doing on the training ground and the preparation work for the next match. It's all the media stuff that comes with it. And he just doesn't have 
the time to properly scout in depth. If you look at our first transfer window under Klopp, every player we signed or were linked to it in that summer had been a target for Dortmund. So uh, for me, I looked at that and I thought, you know what, Klopp doesn't trust these around him just yet. He's relying on what he knows from Dortmund, what him and Michael Zork have discussed in the past. Um, the, the only other one was Ben Chilwell, but he played for David Wagner on loan at Huddersfield. And obviously, as we know, David Wagner is right. Jurgen Klopp's best friend. So it seemed that window, he didn't so much trust him. But like you look at the last window, Mo obviously... I reckon Andy Robertson might well have been a Michael Edwards laptop discovery as well. Um, and what a signing he's been. So, like we, we got him for 5 million rising to 8 million while at the same time selling Hull, Kevin Stewart for 8 million. So basically we swapped Kevin Stewart, who with the greatest of respect isn't a Premier League caliber player at this point in his career. Maybe in a couple of years when he develops, he will be. Um, but we swapped him for who, the guy who has arguably been the best left back in the league this season. In Andy Robertson, you, did you mentioned Ox. If ever there was a signing that will make kind of everybody say, you know what, I'm just going to trust Klopp. I'm just going to trust what he wants to do. For me, it was the Mane signing. Once we got Mane and I saw what he could do, I was like, you know what, whatever Klopp wants to do is good with me. Crack on, son. But for a lot of people who were kind of, who wanted Mane because they saw something that I didn't see, um, they were kind of, a lot of them were against the Ox signing. And when you see what Oxley Chamberlain has done this season, how he stepped up his game and adapted to this new position in centre midfield and consistently turned in good performances. And not only that, but done it with production goals and assists and chances created and hockey assists and all that. You kind of have to look at Klopp and go, right, you know what, whatever it is that these guys, and the, the name around at the moment is Jack Butland. And personally, mm. don't think he's the right keeper. However, on the back of Mane, on the back of Ox, Ox I was very much in favour of, but like I said, a lot of people weren't. On the back of Ox, and on the back of Andy Robertson, who people said, oh, he's just a waste of money, like that's an FSG sign and cheap and cheerful. I think we all have to, have to shut up and say, right, whatever Jürgen wants, whatever Michael Edwards and, and Fallows and Hunter and, and Klopp come up with, um, let them do it, because how can we argue with the results? There hasn't been a failure yet. Like, you look at the signings he's made. Matip, fair enough, not particularly good, but we would sell him for profit. Carius, mm. still, still up in the air with Carius. He could become a great keeper, but, you know, he may not become a great keeper. However, we'd sell him for more than the four million we got. Raggy Clavan bought for four million to be a backup centre back and has been exactly that, a, a solid backup centre back. Came in yesterday, no frills, seven out of ten. And you regularly get seven out of ten from Clavan. There hasn't been a bad signing yet. No, I, I agree with that as well. I, I think the board of um, they've covered themselves quite well with Club. They've been far more patient than we were. We were like pulling our hair out, you know, thinking, you know, bring a signing in in January, do this, do that. What he's achieved, I think I, I, I touched on it earlier as well. What he's achieved with this squad and the overall plan he, he has, um, we can't see it now, but it's, it's sort of slowly. Slowly uh, coming into play. Um, I think somebody, uh, what was his name? Pep. Pep touched on um, Klopp before we played them, saying he's one of the best managers in the world at recruiting the right guys for his way of football. And um, I think we see that with people like um, Ox, um, the way he's used Mane, the way he's the way he's getting all these, um, he's getting them to play to the to, to the best of their ability. He brings out 
every ounce of their talent. And um, I, I, I can't complain. I can't grumble with what they're doing in the market at all. The one I'm bothered about right now, I, I am bothered about Butland after his show yesterday at Anfield. He, he looks like a Liverpool keeper in the making with all the mistakes he was doing and the way he was just, he was having all those brain fart moments. Um, I, I, I hope this stay clear. Unless there's, unless there's something really sort of, it's, it's a bargain for us to go for him and to replace Mignolet. Um, I'd stay clear of him and I'd rather use the money on a, a centre back or a DM. I'd, I'd rather put extra funds in there. Um, just to protect Carius as well, and mm. you never know if Carius is protected that way. Um, he could come on, he could come on, he could go on to the next level. I, I don't think it's out of the question for him to be as good as Allison, for him to Same. work his way up there. Same. Like, look at it this way, right? This time last year, Allison was sitting on the bench at Roma. Nobody was talking about him. I don't know. He, he he, you know, exactly. Mo- most people didn't like because he was just the Roma backup keeper. Mm. And I remember talking to. God, I can't remember who it was. Somebody on Twitter early in the season, and they were like, "Would you take Allison?" I was like, "Absolutely not. Absolutely no chance. I wouldn't touch him." And then, as he, as you watch the season go on, he's getting better and better and better, and he is now, admittedly, one of the top seven or eight keepers in the world, maybe top five. But having games though, hasn't it? That's it, and it's a, it, that, and that's in a twelve-month period. Carries has only had four months. <laughs> let's let's see what he can really do. By the end of next season. And if by the end of next season we have decided he's not good enough, well, when I say we, I mean Jurgen and the team, yeah. have decided he's not good enough, that's grand. Then go and buy your Yano Block. Then go and buy Gigi Donnarumma. Then go and buy Alvin Lafont. Buy whoever you want mm. at that point. Mm. But I, for me, I want to see Carrius get his chance because what, what we've seen in the last four months, I think has been very impressive. Now, I know that the last run of games he had last season, he, made a, a, quite a few mistakes and he didn't look great but you do have to factor in he was playing behind like Lovren and mm-hmm. you know Lucas at times uh, and things like that where he just was didn't have the protection in front of him you know like the Lovren matter but access of nonsense and whatever else and there was a lot of lot of kind of ins and outs and like the, the last thing I'll say about Klopp and, and, and this newfound trust in the um in the in the front or in, in the in the recruitment team is when when we signed Klopp and there was no director of football appointed, my my big worry is that Klopp would become Wenger where he's a great manager but he's trying to do too much and he's stretched too thin. And mm. by by Klopp now being more kinda of open to the ideas of Edwards and Fallows, etc. I think he he's negated that. I think we've 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 avoided that potential pitfall of him becoming a manager. He'll get you top four every single year, and you, you'll win the odd domestic cup, but the team will never match the manager. And Wenger at Arsenal, the team has not, has not matched Wenger for the last ten years. He hasn't had the quality, he hasn't had the funds, and we, the problem we've had, and he hasn't had the time to properly scout. So with Klopp now been more inclusive of, of the other guys, I, th- I think we're really in a strong position, and um, did you mention we don't have a direct football, but we have like this group, this group of people who who can all have input and all share the responsibility. And you know, Buvach, as far as knows, involved as well in, in the scouting process, and probably has a great knowledge of players from the Balkan regions and stuff because that's where he's from. So, I mean, we can really tap into things like that. 
I think it's a, you know, spite of, you know, to, spite of judgment to say that we don't exactly, there's no exact science when it comes to signing players and, yeah, in the modern era, managers have got so much to do. I think Klopp is a, an amazing manager tactically, uh, man management, but recruitment might not be his thing. Uh, we've had a look at Dortmund. Uh, I think Waz told me about their structure, the way they used to sign uh, players. And at Liverpool, he's got people around him who can look to buy and influence him and who might work. Salah, Ox, Robertson. And going forward, if we just touch upon the, the goalkeeper situation again, Jack Butland will be the first name I'd go for. But I do believe that Mignolet will go. We will need backup in the sense that, you know, for carriers to, you know, to be to be covered for certain games. And maybe Butland is that keeper where you're not spending 50s and 60 millions. He comes in for the 2025. He's a bit of competition for Carrius. And between one of the two, you end up with a decent goalkeeper. The other thing is that he's English. So, you know, he'll always have resale value. If he remains as England number one, even if he's only playing in the Cups and stuff for us, if he stays as England number one, you're going to get your money back. So we could bring him in for a year and he'd say, say he doesn't work out. Say for whatever reason he just doesn't work or he's not happy just being the cup keeper and he wants to move on. We could make a profit on him and then go go again and find something else. I mean, the other option we would have is promote Danny Ward to number two and maybe then try and bring in like a, a veteran like a Nick Arcasius, uh Rui Patricio or a Roman Vedenfeller from Dortmund. Um Bring them in as like an an older mentor type who'll who'll assist with the coaching more so than being a player. He'll just be there to be a mentor to the younger keepers, and that that's an option for us as well. Or we could go the young option and get Alden Lafont from from Toulouse, um, and then bring in a Casillas as well as a third choice keeper and sell Danny Ward. And it is likely that Danny Ward will go. And look, if Danny Ward goes, but put it this way, if Danny Ward goes and Mignolet goes, we'll probably get Butland for what we get for the two of those. And then we just have Camille Grabera, who's the the academy keeper, as the third choice. Um, so in in theory, we could do the goalkeeper thing at no net spend, which, like you mentioned earlier, was we want to keep money for the key positions, which are mm. centre back, holding midfield, depth and attack, and probably a new left back uh, to cover Robertson um, when Moreno goes this summer. Uh, someone like Ryan Sessegnon for me is perfect because he can play left back and he can play left wing. So he covers both positions, and he's the biggest young talent in English football. Yeah, certainly. And, um, we were watching him the other day, actually. I think uh, we, we were actually we were, we were laughing at the uh, the Fulham game that was on. Um, we were sort of joking amongst ourselves. Let's do some scouting missions on Sessegnon here. And he had a bit of a... I can't remember if he had seen that much of him in that game, to be honest. Um no, that was it was a Jari who did okay with the Sunderland game, wasn't it? And uh he was he was kinda of quiet in that game, but we were going on a scouting mission. Nothing better to do on a Friday night. <laughs> so watching Fulham Sunderland, I think Sessignon would be <laughs> you, you know your Friday night is a quiet one when you're watching Fulham against Sunderland. <laughs> Sunderland, my god, what what has happened at Sunderland? The wheels have properly fallen off. Um See him get relegated again two seasons back to back. It's uh, for most Middlesbrough people. I think the Borough fans were singing yesterday as well. You know, uh, Sunderland going down. But uh, for for Liverpool, Sessegnon uh, watching Fulham, Ejaria, young players are coming in. Uh, you know, if they can build up our squad and take us forward, as you say, give cover to left back. So be it. 
and there's going to be players out there. I think we've said in the past, we didn't. Nobody really shouted, call the Mane signing. Nobody really called the Ronaldo signing or the Robertson signing. Mm. So, for all we know, the names that have been bandied about, even Butland to a point might be the Stoke are getting relegated. His agent is looking for a, a sale, and he's put the Liverpool name out there. It could be that Liverpool sign players that we're not even talking about will turn out to be, you know, hopefully world beaters and take us to the promised land of winning the league again. But uh, I think if it if it comes to uh, quality signings. For goalkeepers, for me, I think Alisson's a top shout. Uh, and I think I'd still probably make a cheeky bid for Lamar because I think as much as Man has worked out, I, I think we could improve on him. Honestly, I think we I'd love Thomas Lamar. And the great thing with Thomas Lamar is you bring him in and what he does is he... Say, say for an example, right, your starting midfield is Naby, Neves and Lamar. Well, Lamar can also play both wings... Ox can play Lamar's position and both wings. Mane can play both wings. Bobby can drop in in midfield. Um, Cessnion, we've mentioned, can play left wing, probably can play right wing as well. So you have a bunch of players that can play in a lot of positions. And as we've seen this season, like Adam Lallana, eight goals, seven assists last year, had a very good three-month spell um, and was important in that three-month spell. Not been a factor at all this season. I think he's played 14 games, was mo- mostly rubbish in all of them because, you know, just didn't look fit or whatever it was. Um, so he's been a non-factor. Nathaniel Klein was our starting right back last year, uh, played, I think, two games this year. So non-factor. Um, you guys mentioned Divock Origi earlier on. He was pretty good for us at times last season, very good the year before. Gone on loan this year, non-factor. Daniel Sturridge, non-factor this year. So when you look at it, like our squad has actually shrunk last season to this season because we haven't brought in... Like Trent is the only youngster that's come in. Gomez, I know, coming back fit has been a big thing for us. And we brought in Robertson. And Moreno was playing this year, which he didn't do last year. But when you look in midfield, um, we, we've, we've sort of lost... We've lost Lalana Ox has come in. So again, one for one. Up front, we lost... Two, two good important players, like squad wise, who Klopp clearly just didn't trust, and only replaced them with Mo. So body wise, we're actually down one, and and we've had injuries to Lovren, we've had injuries to Matip, Clavan, Vinaldum. We've had a lot of injuries this year, but we've just been able to overcome it. And you don't want that to always be the case. You don't want Mo and Bobby to have to play, you know as many games next season as to have this season. You don't want to always be relying on them because, you know, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work when we end up yesterday. So, with a bit of luck, if we can bring in a couple of quality squad additions who can, you know, just spell them. Be bodies that Klopp trusts so that some weeks he can go, okay, well, today's starting formation is we're going to play Naby and Neves in midfield as a two. We're going to have Ox and Lamar playing as advanced midfielders slash wingers. And we're going to play Bobby with whoever up front, or Mo with whoever up front, or Manny with whoever up front, and and we can rest then two or three like key players on a regular basis. That will make all the difference because when you look at City and City take off Gabby Jesus and bring on Sergio Aguero or vice versa, they took off Raheem Sterling and they bring on Bernardo Silva, and they take off De Bruyne or Silva or, or David Silva and they bring on Gundogan. Like, if one of their centre-backs is missing out, oh, well, here's Vincent Company, who's one of the greatest defenders in the Premier League history, or here's 
you know, uh, America Laporta, who costs 57 million, or here's John Stones, who's England's first choice. You know, they just have great options in terms of their depth. And that's where we fall short of them. That's why we can't compete in the league just yet, is because when our best 11 is out there, oh, and obviously the Emery Chan injury, I forgot as well, he's been out there for ages. Um, but when our best 11 is out there, it's, you know, it's probably Trent, um, Matip, Van Dyke, Robertson at the back. And then, like, Lovren and Clavin are the two that come in, and neither of them are good enough. The same in goal, like, if carries get hurt, Minion is awful, like, and we've got good depth at fullback, but in midfield then you've got Ox is definitely one of our best midfielders, Emery is probably our best midfielder, and the third is between Ginny and Milner. Like, Henderson comes in, it's not a huge drop-off from Milner, but it's still noticeable from Emery. Um, you don't have, Lalana's been out all year, there's no depth there, there's, there's four midfielders, five midfielders for three roles, but only two of them in Ox and Emery you'd really be confident with going forward long term, because Ginny's too inconsistent, Milner's coming towards the end, although he's been very good since fe- February, and you just don't know what you're going to get with Jordan Henderson, yesterday we got three out of ten, last mm-hmm. weekend we got three out of ten, so like, what, what, what are you going to get with him? And up front, if we take off one of our strikers, it's Dan Yings, who, who, with respect, should be in the championship, and Don Solanke, who'd struggle in League One at the moment. So we don't have that depth, and that's something that needs to be addressed this summer. And with the, the transfer committee being what they are, with Klopp being the way he is, I'm really confident we'll address these factors. Um, so anyway, we'll move on from that. Look, Rome, Wednesday night. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to get a prediction off you. Amjad, I'll start with you. Prediction for Wednesday night. 3-1 to the Reds. That'll be a stunning 8-3 aggregate lead, which which is mind-blowing for a Champions League final, semi-final, and easily doable, because we're that good. Uh, Waz, what about you? 2-1 to Rome. 2-1 to Roma. That puts us through 6-4 on aggregate. We'd take that all day. Um, I think we might get a draw over there. I think I could see a 2-2 draw. Um... But again, we could beat them 4-0. We could beat them 4-1. We could beat them, you know, anything. Or or they could beat us. But I, I am very, very... like I don't think they'll beat us by three. I'll put that on the table. I don't think they're going to knock us out. I think we're going through, uh, barring a calamity. But, you know, it's it's just... It's wild what we are this year because we're just blowing teams away in the, in the, in the Champions League. I think we're only three goals in the Champions League short of Everton's total in the league, which is mental-like. Um, it just shows how good we are. Uh, right, look. Let's change gears. Let's go and talk about something else. And, uh, Amjid, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was, um, the project that you are involved in, which is Media Cultured. And I'll just read the Twitter bio out. Workshops on inclusion, identity, integration, values, and citizenship. Tackling racism and radicalization. Safeguarding training and resources. Andrew, tell me more about media culture. Media culture, as a social enterprise, we predominantly, as the bio alludes to, deliver training and education support. Now, this is delivered mostly to schools and colleges. Uh, we've also worked closely recently with Kick It Out and the Premier League. And the workshops that we deliver and the kind of the purpose of what we do uh, behind the social enterprise, the social objectives as such, are to promote social cohesion. Uh, within a, within 2018, the year that we live now, we see the president of America making comments, anti-Muslim comments. Uh, we've had issues around extremism since my time at university with September 11th. 
Um, my own family, uh, and you know me, we seem both related to our family has suffered the loss of uh, a close loved one, our uncle Mohammed Zabair, uh, shortly after what police believe was a racially motivated attack back in 2011. Uh, so for me, everything that media culture does and everything that we do is about tackling all forms of extremism, racism, anti-Semitism, uh, what some people call Islamist extremism, and most importantly for myself as well, uh, tackling anti-Muslim prejudice. And that can only be done through education. So the way media culture is set up, it's, uh, it allows us to go into schools and colleges and football clubs. Uh, you mentioned Stoke City. We've uh, delivered the first of all pilot workshops to their under-18s earlier this year. And again, thanks to Kick It Out. So we've had the opportunity as an organisation to work with individuals and institutions uh, to tackle messages of extremism, to promote a message of unity. And we do that through uh, various forms of education and outreach events, everything from workshops to uh, mellas and, uh, you know, open days at mosques and whatnot. You mentioned the phrase um, anti-Muslim. What was it, anti-Muslim? Prejudice, yeah. Prejudice, right. Anti-Muslim prejudice. So, here's the thing. In in the mainstream, this is referred to as Islamophobia. Um, I, I believe that the word Islamophobia needs to be taken and thrown in the sea and never spoken of again, because it's not a phobia. It's the, a phobia is to be irrationally scared of something. Nobody is scared of a religion. Let's all be honest. Nobody is scared of a religion. And nobody is worried about the white Muslims. The issue here is is racism at, at its heart. It's about it's against brown people and this terror that people seem to have that all Muslims have been radicalized. Now there are over a billion Muslims in the world. Um, a well-known um, bigot Ben Shapiro has said that over half the Muslims in the world have been radicalized. That would mean that there were 500 million lunatics marching around the world blowing shit up but there's not it's a very very small percentage and what gets me is you get these guys like Ben Shapiro like Donald Trump as you mentioned like our our hero uh, Super Tommy Robinson who might be the most incredibly stupid man I've ever come across Um, they're the reason for a lot of radicalization they're the people that these radicals can point to and say, oh look, the West hates us. And when they're, like, they prey on young people, they play, prey on vulnerable people, and they twist their minds to believe a certain thing. And they use Islam as, as, as an excuse. I mean, it was always the same in Northern Ireland as well, where, you know, the, the IRA would use Catholicism as an excuse for blowing shit up, and the UDA and UDF would also, or the, not UDA, their political party, the UDF would, would use, you know, been Protestant and whatever as, as an excuse to blow shit up and kill people. And it always struck me that they're just using that as an excuse so people have something to blame it on, or, or people think, oh, it's all of them, but I know a lot of Muslims, and I've spoken to a lot of Muslims on this topic, and I've spoken to Waz before at length a couple of times on this, and Mo Chatra and a few other people. And it, it has nothing to do with the religion. It's These things are taking place in certain parts of the world where there is a bias 
from the West towards those places, and in return, a bias against the West from those places, for different reasons. But the Islamophobia thing just always strikes me as a stupid, stupid word that we really need to do away with, because, like you say, it's prejudice. It's not based on anything. It's just, it's a, it's an idea that someone has had and it's been spread. And you see things happening where, you know, um, a guy drives a car in Toronto the other day into a crowd of people and kills 10 people. And immediately you've got morons coming out. Oh, it's definitely a Muslim. It's definitely a Muslim. Muslim driver, blah, blah, blah. And, and then it's shown that it wasn't a Muslim. But there's no retraction on this. There's no, oh no, we got that wrong, we're really sorry it wasn't actually Muslim. It was just like, oh right, we were wrong, whatever. Let's leave that up there though. Let's leave that out in the world. So in 10 years, when someone goes on Google and types in Muslim attacks, this fake shit comes up in all the search results. There's been loads of them. There was the one in Montreal. There's been a bunch of them throughout America where immediately these bigots jump to it was definitely a Muslim and there's articles, there's news reports there's the whole shebang and then it's not but there's no retraction, there's no alright we got that wrong, there's no thought the next time of maybe we should wait and see, it's immediately this anti-Muslim rhetoric that gets spewed out and never ever taken back Uh, I couldn't agree more you know, I, I genuinely, the passion, uh, the that you just shared yourself as well, it, it's hot, it's humbling to me. Uh, I know that you guys have followed sort of the, the story and the trajectory of anti-Muslim prejudice as it's grown these last few years, but I think just to address a couple of points made, ultimately Islamophobia, the term of itself for me and the academics I work with is kind of problematic because it sort of alludes to a fear of a religion which again would be based on ignorance and if people got to know more Muslims and understand the religion, Islamophobia as a term uh, would be thrown out the window. I think anti-Muslim hate, anti-Muslim prejudice, it is part of the same sort of theme of uh, words and situations such as racism, anti-Semitism, it falls under one bag. It's a hatred of a specific set of people based on ignorance. Now the media, as you say, and as Liverpool fans we are very, very aware of particular newspapers in this country having an agenda and retractions towards Muslims. I, I can't see those ever happening if we if we consider as Liverpool fans what's happened with the Hillsborough and uh, the disaster. It took only 20 years to get Kelvin McKenzie and the son of crime down from their position because of massive public support. Well, in this country and in this world right now, we don't have that support. It's actually the other way around, where massive media organisations, the President of America. Fox News, that even goes far as some of the Brit- the mainstream British newspapers as well in this country have an agenda, simply and truthfully for the fact that it sells newspapers, mm. back to yourselves, so they can push this message of anti-Muslim hate out there, Islamophobia, having headlines like Muslim wants, Muslims want to ban Christmas, Muslim loony does this, you know, transpose that word with Jewish or black, and then yeah. uh, as you say, uh, a bleep storm, now, there's ultimately a lot more that can be done in terms of education, outreach, but a certain sense of acceptance on the behalf of government, the Tory government especially. Uh, we look at the Windrush scandal. People don't accept their role in dividing communities. And I think as might, as it might sound idealistic, but as somebody who's passionate about being born and raised in this town, in this country, loves and, loves and practices its faith, 
I think it's I'm duty bound to try and do something. And if our small social enterprise in this corner of Middlesbrough can punch above its weight and do something and get the support of you guys, then that's a start. But moreover, and ultimately, people like Tommy Robinson, the EDL, Ben Shapiro, Breitbart, Fox News, they didn't need to move. And they, what they don't realise is their agenda, well, they might realise it, but they don't care. Their agenda is costing lives. People are being murdered on the streets of yeah. country and other countries. We have groups forming. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the Football Lads Alliance. People literally jumping on the bandwagon, the anti-Muslim prejudice bandwagon, based on nothing but pure ignorance and hate to make money and to divide communities. And I think that's why we've got to do as much as we can and shout from the rooftops that we can't be divided. We can't let our religions, our differences that we have, you know, people say oftentimes when I deliver a workshop, well, we're all the same, aren't we? No, we're not. People have different beliefs, different religions, different colors and creeds. We've got to find a way to get on. But what we can't do is allow the extremists of any way, shape or form uh, to, to divide us further. And considering it's 2018, the thing that we're having this conversation in this country at this time, why do people not like Muslims? You know, I was at university uh, just after September 11th and a fellow student of mine said to me in these words, I'm paraphrasing, why, why did it happen? Why did the planes hit the buildings? And I said to her, why are you asking me? And she goes, because you're a Muslim. Yeah. As if, how, as if somehow I could defend, comment, or explain the actions of a murderous psychopath. Now, as you said, the only way we're going to tackle this prejudice is through education. But we've got a long, long way to go. And I think uh, Liverpool fans have shown in the past Mo Salah. What an example. Mm. Liverpool fans singing about praying in the mosque if Mo Salah scores another goal. You know, the, the effect that he's had. And we've got to champion these people and we've got to champion these groups that tackle this kind of prejudice and just keep shouting to the rooftops because uh, the evil, hateful people out there, they aren't going to stop and we've just got to keep going and tackling them. Well, that's the thing. You look at, look at Liverpool, for an example. Three of our five best players, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane and Emery Chan, are Muslims. Naby Keita comes this summer. He's also Muslim. And... They're prime examples of why you just need to put all this other nonsense into the box it belongs in and fuck it into the sea. Because it's clearly not a Muslim thing to be violent, to be, you know, to, to incite terror and things like that. And when it comes down to it, like, 9-11 is basically used as a fear-mongering tool by the likes of Donald Trump, by the likes of the Brexit Leave campaign, um, by the like you mentioned, Breitbart and Ben Shapiro, and ben Shapiro all the Tommy Robinson, all those morons. It, it's that one incident, and then you look at many other incidents that, that have taken place, and there's been as many non-Muslim attacks in Europe. I'm talking about major attacks, as as many non-Muslim as Muslim, probably a lot more when you really look into it. Far more. In a, yeah. Far, yeah, and in America, it's vastly non-Muslim people who are doing these atrocities, you know, like the the massacre in Las Vegas, um, what took place in, in Florida recently at that school. Like, I, but these things, they're never marked as terrorism. They're never even considered as terrorism. Yeah, they're considered but, that. We don't hear no. that. Most, we don't hear headlines such as Muslim footballer tops goal-scoring charts in the Premier League. No, uh, never. 
it's always the negative connotation, the negative assumption, the negative portrayal. And I think people like Mo Salah can only help us challenge these misconceptions and these misrepresentations. Ultimately, as I said previously, the media will do what it needs to do to sell newspapers. It will label Irish people in a particular way. It will label yeah. black people in a particular way. You know, through the course of history, uh, there was a, a newspaper, a very famous newspaper in the, in the time of the Third Reich, Desh Derma, which Hitler and the Third Reich literally used to propagate an anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic message, which we know led ultimately to probably the most horrific crime in the history of humankind, the murder of six million people. Mm. We've had, you know, slavery to, to boot at the, you know, across Europe and America. It took us as humanity a long, long time to understand that this is wrong. Something must be done and we've got to challenge this kind of message and this kind of hate. But sadly, we don't learn our lesson. It was Irish people. It was black people. It was Jewish people. And right now, it's people of the Muslim faith. Yes. And what you'll find is there's a, a recent change in shift in patterns in attacks against Muslims. Typically, uh, as recorded research has shown, attacks against minority communities often took place between men. Men would attack men. Boys would fight on the street. Uh, you know. But now, what's happened is that the attacks that take place against women, uh, against Muslims, are markedly higher, targeted towards women. Women in hijabs, who visibly Muslim women walking down the streets, are attacked because of the way they dress. So these people are not only hateful bigots, they're cowards. They're attacking yeah. innocent, vulnerable people simply for the fact that they've been, and I, I use this term uh, poignantly, it's, they've been brainwashed. Brainwashed into thinking Muslims are a particular way, and we have a country, a government, a media that's not helping in any way. And so I think people like yourself, people like what we're doing, people that show racism, the red card, kick it out, and the wonderful organizations in this country who are trying to tackle that message of hate and to show people that regardless of our differences, we can get on. I've got a long battle ahead, but, you know, all power to them because we've got to find a way to tackle these messages of hate because across Europe, the rise of uh, far-right sympathies and groups has taken off. Austria, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, France, far-right groups are now uh, more popular, uh, all, all as nearly as popular as they were pre-1930s, and yeah. we know we know what that led to. So we exactly. can't we can't do that again. We can't go back to that again. No, and the thing is as well, Amjad, like if this, they've all all these cowards, all these far-right cowards. They've all they all seem to think now it's acceptable. It's been made acceptable by the mainstream, by the likes of the Daily Mail. For them to rear their heads. In America, Trump has made it acceptable for the, these alt-right scumbags. And that's alt-right. They're fascists. They're utter fascists and they're scum. You know, um, what's that Richard something clown that got punched in the face that time? It's very funny. Um, like, it's been made okay for these people to crawl out from under their rock because of, of this mainstream push with Trump, Fox News, the, the leave campaign, um, it's, it, it's weird that they just seem to think, and we, we're, it's almost accepted that, oh, everybody's entitled to their opinion. No, they're not. No, I'm sorry, they're not. You're not entitled to your opinion if your opinion is one based in bigotry and hate. I'm sorry, you're just not. And like, we mentioned Mo there, and I saw some stuff recently, something was mentioned in, in some article about him being Muslim, and, 
basically the, the somebody was saying, "Oh, leave religion out of football." Uh-huh. I don't remember anyone saying that to Kaka when he was wearing shirts that said, "I belong to Jesus." You know, I don't remember anyone saying that to Daniel Sturridge when he blesses himself and points to the sky when he comes onto the pitch. It's only Islam people want left out of football. It's not any other religion. It's just Islam. It's this weird thing. But, like, this is what gets me. Islam has been around for hundreds of years. If all Muslims... If if Islam was a religion of hate and blowing shit up, wouldn't there be hundreds of years of examples of this? Exactly. I think... You know, Dave, to address a, a point, and I'm not not to be fair and balanced in any way, because I do believe far right extremism, terrorism, and attacks is far more of a problem across the world than uh, the so-called Islamist attacks. But as a Muslim, I'll call out those Muslim groups, the likes of Al-Mihajirun, the likes of ISIS, who for me don't represent my faith and the ideals and the values it holds in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what I find is their hateful message actually put fuel to the fire of the opposite end, the alt-right and the extremists who, who look and point a finger. Mm. When, well, and again, this is a problematic term, when the mainstream and the middle ground, the, the Daily Mails and the BBCs and the Sky Newsers of the world aren't allowing for careful, considered representations of a faith and a group of people because they believe, oh, well, you know, we might get called out for, you know, taking, you know, being too fond of our Muslim neighbours. It really makes the problem worse. And whether we're looking at Ben Shapiro or Breitbart or Sky News, ISIS or the EDL or the Britain Firsts of the world, these people are extremists. And ultimately, we've got to find a way to to come to the middle ground and to, to talk about our differences. And if a footballer like Mo Salah can challenge those stereotypes and misconceptions, do you know what? So be it. Because I think the guy has shown he's humble, he's honest, and when the media say, oh, well, they shouldn't bring religion into it, it's kind of the Colin Kaepernick situation. Well, football should be left out of it. No, no. Yeah. Football plays a huge role in the way people think. You know, it's tribal. You know, it brings people together. Sport does that. And if football can tackle misconceptions, racism and extremism and prevent further violence taking place, then you know what? Let's use football. Not let's ignore football. Let's use football to unite communities. Ultimately, that's what it's about. It's more than a game. Uh, as you know, as Bill said, you know, football's not out of might, life and death. It's more important. It really is. It could be more important. We use sport. The World, World Cup is coming up in Russia. Who knows what that could lead to? The world, there's a lot of tensions in and around the geopolitical situation of the world as we live in now. But we've got to find a way through sport, through education and through the media to tackle these issues that we face. Because if we don't do it now, we're only going to look back in 20 years and regret it because things are only going to get worse if we ignore them. Well, that's the thing. Like, sport is one of the few things that unite all people. Like, myself and you two guys, we have no reason to be talking today other than the fact we're, we're all Liverpool fans. And that's how we became connected through social media, is that we're Liverpool fans. Other than that, we'd never know each other. So that's brought us together and we're able to have this conversation here. So I think sport is a great medium to bring people together. Like, you mentioned you did one of your workshops at, at Stoke City. That's fantastic. If you can continue that throughout the country, that's brilliant. If then meet with supporters groups and things like that. You're getting your message across. You're bringing people together for one common goal and helping them establish another common goal. 
And well, what gets me here, this is what really gets me, right? It's, I, I don't know how, I can't wrap my head around this fact. I, and I go back to it again. That this condemnation of, of Islam for attacks against the West. The West is not a religion. Like, it, it, there's, there's nothing that ties all of Europe and America together in any way religiously. But yet it's meant to be that the reason for these attacks are religious based. And they're clearly not. You mentioned like the likes of ISIS. Religion is just the excuse. And it's it's what they use to recruit. But at the heart of it, it's just evil. It's plain evil. And we mentioned the Holocaust. And how is that not? How is Christianity not seen as the as the the religion of evil after that, which was purely religious driven? This positive Christianity that Hans Kerry, or Hans Kerl, can't remember which, who was Hitler's minister for church affairs, that he pushed this positive Christianity rhetoric, which was to regret, uh, to reject Jewish origins, reject the Old Testament, and fight for real Christianity against Jews, which led to the slaughter of six million plus people. That is, that is religious based hatred and slaughter and atrocity. None of this ISIS stuff or Al-Qaeda or any of the other groups, none of that is based in religion. Their common goal or their common link might all, might be that they're all Muslims, but they're all, they're, if they're from a certain part of the world or their origins are from a certain part of the world, of course Islam is going to link them because that's the religion largely of that part of the world, but I, I've seen Indian friends of mine who are Hindu assaulted and abused for being Muslim, even though they're not. I've seen sheiks pushed off of subway uh, trains when they try to get on because they're Muslim, even though they're not. It's really weird. It does all come down to this narrow-minded thing that all Muslims are brown and all brown people are Muslims. There's loads of there's loads of white Muslims, but those people are just left alone. Well, I think some of the, and I, some people might find this analogy a little strange that I'm about to use, but when we used to, when we were kids, hooliganism was a real problem. And football would, people would often say, our oh, football fans are violent. No, no. Certain people who follow certain football teams use football as, as an excuse for violence. Now, we've seen that through the course of history now mm. where religions or a, polit- a particular politi- political uh, disposition I used to form a, you know, an argument and then that ensues, a violence can ensue thereafter. But we've got to find a way to, to tackle that misrepresentation of Islam, of religions generally. Nobody points the finger, as you say, at the, 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 the Holocaust and says it was a Christian massacre, Christian genocide. And I don't think they should because again, specific people within the Third Reich used it because they knew it would garner a particular Exactly. Sacrifice. It would garner sympathy. Now, when the likes of ISIS are saying, you know, um, come and join the caliphate and you'll become a martyr and you're guaranteed a place in heaven, they're actually buying into the very simplistic and the naivety of some of the people who joined them. Because mm. look into the religion, there's nothing of the sort. There's no killing innocent people. You actually, the life of, if you take the life of one person as a Muslim, it, God will consider it that you've taken the life of whole of the whole of humanity. Uh, there's a passage in the Quran that says so. And again, on the, on the other side, where fear is used 
and ignorance is used to divide communities. You know, the Muslims are taking over. You know, the Irish are, are going to do this and the blacks are going to do that. It's all just fear and ignorance. And sadly, we live in a world where people buy into it. And we know Liverpool fans have been brilliant, absolutely brilliant when it comes to, and the football club itself has been brilliant when it comes to promoting a message of peace and unity. But I think, uh, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, there were some Liverpool fans who were praying at the ground, Muslims, and yeah. some idiot made a comment on Facebook or Twitter about, oh, what's this? And the Liverpool fans rounded on him. And that's the mentality we need. We need to clamp it down. We need to stamp it down and shut it down. This kind of ignorance that leads to hate on any side of the fence that might be. And uh, football uh, education is central to that. And I think people like yourself, people like Waz and me, if we get the opportunity through this show or through our social media accounts to, to push a message that ignorance is actually the problem, uh, not Muslims, not blacks, not the differences that we have, then we might get somewhere. That's exactly it. And like, if you're unsure on Islam, or you just, you're not educated on it, and, and most people aren't. I, I'm not to a huge degree. I, I've made the effort to speak to Muslims and, and, you know, to kind of educate myself to a relatively decent level. Um, but like, we have a great medium in Twitter where there's, especially if you're, if you're a Liverpool fan, you listen to this, there's loads of prominent Muslims among the Liverpool fan base. You know, you can, you can, Follow Waz at Waz612. Ask him questions. He will take the time to, to talk through with you. Amjid the same. Uh, Amjid Kazir. A-M-J-I-D-K-H-A-Z-I-R. And, and again, Amjid, I'm sure, will be more than happy to, to take the time. Go and visit your local mosque. They'll, they will welcome you inside and they will explain the religion to you and help you get a better understanding. There's plenty of other prominent Muslims among, amongst our fan base that I'm sure would be more than happy to take 20 minutes out of their day to have a conversation with you, to help you understand things if you're, if you're unsure of them. Um, but like, we, we do need to get past this idea that Islam is a religion of evil or of hatred. It is a religion of peace. If, if you read the Quran and you, you have people who understand like, the scriptures explain them to you like it's very very interesting it's it is stuff that will properly open your mind up um grizz khan is another prominent muslim among the liverpool fan base at grizz khan uh he, he'll take time me and grizz don't get on very well but i think on this topic he, he'll agree with me um you, you, he'll take the time to explain these things to you or point you in the direction of other people who will um, one, one last thing actually on, on Islam in terms of Liverpool. Uh, Ramadan is, um, approaching. And the, uh, the idea of the fasting. Now, Waz, explain to people why fasting is not going to leave Mo, Mane, uh, Emery potentially, uh, in some sort of, you know, disheveled heap. Um, I can't give you the full sort of, the scientific depths of it that maybe somebody in a more um, educated position could give you who, who looked at it from the scientific side. But having sort of fasted myself for the best part of the last 20 years, um, I've I've been involved in you know various gym activities while I've been fasting as well. And in terms of endurance, it actually helps the endurance. You know, you can last longer with everything that you do in sports. Um, the only thing that I think is affected 
is you're sprinting. Um, you don't have the energy to sort of have that burst of running and things like this. Um, but you can run for longer if you pace yourself. Now, I think when it comes to all of our Muslim players at the club, um, they, if they're traveling, they don't have to fast. They can make that up afterwards. And I think this will be the case with, with the boys, um, at the club as well, because they won't just be, if, if, if they're in the final, fingers crossed with death, they will open up, um, counting our chickens before they hatch there. If they, if they get to Kiev, um, I'm sure they'll be there for maybe perhaps a, a, a week before the event, perhaps, or three, four days before the event. Um, whilst they're traveling, they don't, they don't need to fast. It's, it's not permissible or it, it's, it's not frowned upon in any way for them to, um, miss the fast. They, they can, they can play the football, get on with the sport as they are, and they can, um, they can make up the fast uh, afterwards at a later date. Well, that's that's ideal then, because like you say, we, the, what will probably happen is Liverpool will play Brighton, I think it's on a Sunday, they'll probably travel Sunday night to Kiev, or, or early Monday, um, and they'll probably spend the better part of the week there. Maybe they'll go a little bit later, they might go Tuesday, Wednesday, but I'd imagine they will spend the better part of a week there, just getting used to the pitch, yeah. getting used to the surroundings and whatever else. Um, so that's if, if they can delay their fast and make the days up elsewhere, which is I'm sure what they will do. Um, that's a good, that obviously will be a big help because you mentioned sprinting, and obviously sprinting is something that we will rely on massively, especially with yeah. oh, with, with Mo and and Mane. So that is at least something that can put people's mind at ease that you know they're not going to come out as just crumpled heaps on the pitch. Yeah. Um, for those interested. Ramadan starts this year on Tuesday the 15th of May and I believe is expected to finish on Thursday the 14th of June. So again, if it's, if Ramadan's not something you are fully aware of or you don't fully understand it or you think it's just fasting or whatever, again, get in touch with the lads. They will be more than happy to go through it with you. Just Google it. You'll be able to find plenty of information, great articles on, on, on the interwebs. Um, or like I said earlier, go go to your local mosque. Just walk by, have a look. There's nobody standing at the front with a big machete. There's no <laughs> one standing outside planting bombs. These are normal, good, everyday people who are going to their place of worship and are more than happy to spread the word of Islam because that's how religions grow, is through you know missionaries and people spreading the word. It's what happens. It is the culture we have. And Islam is a very important part of Western culture now. Um, in the UK especially, there's a massive Islamic community. Um, in Ireland, there's a growing Islamic community. And it's something that we should, you know, we should all embrace it because it can improve every, like you don't have to become a Muslim, but you can, you know, learn things that can improve your day-to-day -day life. You can learn things that will just enlighten you on certain things. At the very least, it can alleviate some of the fears because, as I said earlier, fear mongering has become a big part of modern culture, and the you know the prejudice against Muslims is part of that fear mongering. Not not the whole thing, but a, but a part of it, and it's something we need to eradicate. And hopefully, um, through the work you're doing uh, with Media Cultured, that's going to go you know some way, kick it out, and, and other organisations who are anti-racism and you know, other organizations who are involved in the education of people through discussion. And that's what's key is through discussion. Let's have discussions about this. Let's not 
stand and shout and get up on soapboxes and, and bowl our lungs out. Let's actually have a discussion. Maybe, maybe somebody could sit down with Tommy Robinson, get him to shut his mouth for 20 minutes and actually educate him. Because the man claims to have read the Quran. I, I have great doubts that he has ever read anything beyond Ann and Barry when he was about four years old. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think he's read anything and he certainly didn't write that book. Um, but yeah, so look, as I said earlier, uh, at Waz612, at Amjad Kazir, at Media Cultured UK is, uh, is Amjad's organization. So be sure to check that out. Give it a follow. Um, lads, any final words? Waz, let's start with you. Um, thanks very much, first of all, Dave, for getting me back on. Um, we could not on about Liverpool for ages and you never realize how long it goes. Um, I just can't wait for the game against Roma, maybe. Um, it's been enjoyable and I'm looking forward to us being in the final. Absolutely. It's been a long time. 11 years since our last Champions League final. That is a long, long time. When your guys mm-hmm. our age, kind of early to mid 30s, that 11 years is a third of your life. So it's been a long time. And, you know, before that we had 05, but before that we're going back 20 years. So, these things come along very rarely, so be sure to enjoy it. Um, anyone traveling to Rome, please be very, very careful over there. Yeah. Uh, don't take any risks. Uh, Amjad, last words? Yeah, just to echo the same sentiments, Dave. Thank you for having us on. Uh, big fan of the show. Uh, I think you guys do a great job. As you've said, uh, this Liverpool Football Club, uh, you know, we, we follow them passionately and looking forward to next week. But more importantly, thank you for taking the time to ask us questions about the work that we do. Uh, and just to again echo Wasim's comment, there's many, many concessions for personal people to make when they're fasting. So not to worry about Mo Salah or Mane. He can make up the fast afterward. But Dave, thank you for having us on. Thank you for sharing this. And for anyone who listens to this, do feel free to follow us and to support what we do because uh, you'll never walk alone, as they say. And that's exactly it. And... Um to Sean Cox, the Liverpool fan who was attacked. Uh, just know that everybody is thinking about you, everybody's behind you, and we all support you in, your, in your battle to overcome um, your injuries and the, the horrific attack you suffered. Uh, Sean is from a town about 20 minutes drive from where I'm from. Uh, I don't know the man, but I, you know, I grew up in a very similar area, very similar culture to him, so I can relate, and uh, having gone to Anfield for many years, it you know, the, the one thing is, like, it, it could have been any one of us. That's the thing, you know. So, um, fingers crossed and all prayers that he does uh, make a full recovery. Um, no, nobody should go to a game and not come home for whatever no, reason. No. Um, right, last thing, lovely listeners, I have to do this. Uh, Anfield Index Pro is our subscription-based um, shows uh, featuring the likes of Trevor Downey, Jan Mulby, Nina Kowser, often Gab Marcotti, um, myself, obviously, Gags Tandon, Eddie Gibbs, uh, lots of other people involved. Um, it's a fiver a month, and we wouldn't normally charge, but the production costs are just above and beyond what we could do for free. Uh, we have to pay people to be involved. So, uh, Paul Dogleish, Dan Rhodes, etc., Dan Kenneth, Simon Brundish, they're all involved, and they're all very important people uh, who are very well-educated on the subjects they talk about. Uh, what we try to do is bring a different view to things, statistical uh, physical, uh, psychological. So, if that sounds like your thing, there's a seven day free trial. Give it a try. If you like it, great. Subscribe, 
Fiverr months. 50 quid a year um, is, is the offer. So Fiverr month or 50 quid a year. So take the time to subscribe. If you don't like it after the week, just bend it off. We won't be upset. We won't hate it. I might, but Gags won't. Gags is the nicest man in the world. So give him some support with this. Uh, Anfield Index Pro, at Anfield Index Pro on the Twitter machine, if you want to check that out. And this has been another podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick. Thank you to Waz. Thank you to Amjad. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm sorry it's been so long since the last one of these. I hope to try and do them more regularly now that I have my house sort of in order. Uh, thanks a million. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.